I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, and I'm going to begin reading at verse, uh, verse 1 as we continue in our, in our series, our Advent series, uh, The Coming King, Comfort for All Who Mourn. And this morning, we're going to talk about health and healing, health and healing. Listen to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword, They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath, for I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah, the fortunes of Israel, and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, In this place, of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of myrrh, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will, will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste, without man or beast, and in all of its cities, there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, Flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we ask again that as we sit, all of us under the authority of your word, we pray that you would do that work in us. We pray that by the power of the Spirit, Father, you would continue to conform us into the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, that you would work by your word through the power of the Spirit to do this work. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, In one verse of the song, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus, uh, we are contemplated, we, we are invited to contemplate and then act upon these questions. Are we weak and heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care, precious Savior, still our refuge 
take it to the Lord in prayer. In Jeremiah 33, God's people are invited to do what the writer of this song uh, invites us to do. Israel is facing uh, captivity in Babylon, and they are invited to call out to God in their circumstances. In fact, Jeremiah himself is a captive in Zedekiah's palace, having been imprisoned by the king for prophesying the word of the Lord. And it is while he is imprisoned in the palace that Babylon besieges Israel in preparation for the invasion and destruction of the city and the carrying away of God's people captive. Can you imagine that? Imprisoned by the king, now under siege by a foreign power, facing captivity and all that came with that, displacement, fear, anger, loss, and the like. And all the while, receiving word from the Lord, not only about what was happening, but what was about to happen in the future. Yet it is this very thing, the fact that Jeremiah could go to God right in the midst of what was happening and expect that God would not only hear his prayer, but would answer it. In fact, this is what the whole people are being invited into in chapter 33. They are being invited, they are being invited, uh, dare I say, they are being instructed to call out to God right in the middle of their circumstances. According to Jeremiah uh, chapter 32, uh, verses 1 to 3, uh, the storm was just beginning. And it's right at that point, uh, right at that point when the storm is just beginning, that God says this in chapter 33, verse 3, call to me, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things you have not known. This invitation to pray and this promise to grant knowledge to his people isn't simply about telling the future or passing on information for information's sake. This is, in other words, not simply a promise to inform. Rather, it is a relational promise. God, who is bound to his people in covenant, is not just telling them what is going to happen. He is telling them what he is doing and what he is going to do. The reason God invites us into prayer is that we might continue to discover who he is as God. God invites us into prayer that he might reveal himself to us, that he might impress upon our hearts and our minds the truth of his word regarding who he is as God and what he has promised to those who are his. Israel is about to face a season in her history that is going to bring with it a very deep wounding. Sin, brothers and sisters, is wounding. And Israel's sin, her sins, have wounded their relationship with God. And their sins have wounded their own lives. And their sins have wounded the lives of the poor and the vulnerable in the society. Remember, Israel's punishment is rooted in the twin evils of idolatry and oppression. Idolatry on the one hand, oppression on the other. In Jeremiah 32, 
Beginning at verse 30, we read this. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the works of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of, of, of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that, that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Rather, rather than being a light, rather than being a light to the nations, Old Testament Israel as a corporate community became truly like the nations in their idolatry and in their oppression of the vulnerable. Yet Israel, Israel facing discipline and punishment is encouraged to pray, to cry out to God in their calamity in order to discover the truth about their God. They, they were to cry out to him so that they might discover that their grievous wounds were not beyond God's healing hand. Some of us this morning are still grappling with the grievous wounds that life has given us. Loss and abuse and mistreatment, abandonment and the like. And some of you, some of you may be sitting here this morning without faith in Christ grappling the most grievous of wounds, separation from God because of your sin. Babylonian captivity is one thing, but the captivity caused by sin and death, the oppression of Satan, the world, and its separation from God is another. But glory be to God for the announcement in verse 6, because this is who God is, and this is who God promises to be to all who hope in him for salvation, crying out to him for deliverance from, from our temporal Babylons as well as our spiritual ones. Verse 6, behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of prosperity and security. God is speaking that to a people who have turned their backs on him and not their faces toward him. He comes to them and he says to them, I am here to heal you. Amen, people of God. This is who those who have faith meet in prayer when they cry out to God. They meet the healer. They meet the one who gave up his one and only son, the son of whom Peter speaks when he proclaims he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so as we meet God in prayer, what is the message of that healing that is impressed upon our hearts by our God? What does he say to us? What is he, 
What does he communicate to us when we come to him in prayer, even in the midst of circumstances that we have created for ourselves? What does God say? What does he impress upon us as we come before him? Well, the first thing, brothers and sisters, is that God's healing brings forgiveness. God's healing brings forgiveness. In verse 8, in verse 8, the Lord declares, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. The central reason that we can draw near to God in our need is because of His promise to remove the guilt of our sin. What has damaged our relationship, God Himself promises to heal. And, and when one considers the depth of that sin and rebellion, the lengths to which we have gone and sometimes go in our rebellion against the Lord, both individually and corporately, that, that God would forgive us is staggering to say in the least. I, I just read to you uh, 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 Jeremiah 32. I just, I just read to you what God says His own people were doing. People called out by His name, called out by Him to be a light to the nations, were doing the very things the nations were doing. And yet God, in His matchless grace, says to that people, I'm going to forgive you and remove the guilt of your sin. It's staggering. And yet this is what God proclaims to his people, not only here, but in other places in Jeremiah's prophecy. Consider, for instance, what he says in Jeremiah 31, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And, and notice uh, both in Jeremiah 31 and in Jeremiah 33 that God is the one who initiates the forgiveness. He, he doesn't wait on his people to get right with him. Thus, the question is never, will God forgive me or will he forgive us, but rather, will we receive by faith the forgiveness that he holds out to us, whether we will repent of our sin and turn away from it toward the forgiveness and the renewal that God holds out to us. Some of you may be here this morning wondering if what you thought, if what you spoke, if, 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 if what you did this week will forever strain your relationship with God. Yet here again is the promise in the gospel which you have heard before and which I'm not ashamed to remind you of again and again. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is always the promise of God that's before us. The reason Old Testament Israel was invited to call to God in prayer and know that God would answer them is rooted in God's promise to forgive their sin. They could approach God because the damage they had done to the relationship with their God through their sin, God himself would heal. Since then, we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our our high priest, the one who mediates between us and God, has made it possible through his sacrifice for us to approach the throne of grace in our time of need, not fearfully, not doubtingly, but with confidence. And notice there's there's no condition here that says you can only come if, if, if you're not the one responsible for the mess up. It, it doesn't say you, you can only come so, 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 long as, so long as you didn't mess up this week, so long as what somebody else did to you, you come. I'll hear you. Even if the mess you are in is of your own making. The invitation is to come to God, repent of your sins, and find his forgiveness. Just think about it. In Jeremiah 33, God was inviting a people who had messed up royally and who were now facing discipline because of their failure to call out him. He was inviting that people to come to him in prayer with the knowledge that he would hear them and would indeed respond to them, meaning he would give them what they needed, even in the midst of what they were facing. And all of this because the God who heals is the God who forgives. (laughs) And so the call here this morning is to trust in God's character as the God who forgives us. Whatever our circumstances, we are invited to bring them to God with the knowledge that we are approaching the God of forgiveness. Even even when our hardships, again, as I said, are of our own making, God invites us to the throne of grace to find forgiveness. That's why the psalmist says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. With you there is forgiveness that you may be, that you may be feared. The call here then is to call out to God in our distresses, knowing that he will hear us because he is the God who forgives. He will not hold our sins against us because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. You may may be in here thinking that you've messed up to the point where God wants nothing more to do with you. If if we just talk real for for, for a minute uh, uh, in the house, we we, we have this, this great theology that we read and study, that we love. And yet, and yet, in all honesty, when you mess up, you know what you really feel like? If you're honest, like God doesn't want anything else to do with you. But I got news for you. If God did not give up on Israel, despite her constant rebellions, he will not give up on you. I mean… Did you all hear what I just read from Isaiah 30? Did you hear the stuff I just read from Isaiah, from Jeremiah 32? Did you just hear what I read? Did you, did you hear the things they were doing? We're not, we're not talking about, you know, they lied on the test. 
evil, oppression. God says, but if you call out to me, (laughs) if you return to me, I will return to you. (laughs) I will forgive your sin, and I will heal you of all your iniquity. Don't, don't, Don't sit in the mess of your own making, thinking your relationship with God has been forever destroyed, that there's no way back. Trust what God says in verse 6 about his commitment to forgive guilt and rebellion. Trust what he says in the New Testament to all who trust in his son, Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Amen, people of God. Amen, people of God. Can I say something else to you? I wasn't even prepared to say this. That forgiveness is also what gives you the power to walk in doing the good to repair the evil that you've done. The, the, the fact that God has forgiven you, the fact, the, fact that he, the fact that he has set you free means that you now have the power of the Spirit to walk and, and undo the evil that you've done. Because you're not, you're, you're not fearing being cast out. Amen, people of God. God's healing brings forgiveness. God's healing brings forgiveness. That's why we can draw near to him in prayer. But it also brings, uh, and it's, a, it's a Hebrew word, it brings shalom. It's not just the message of forgiveness that God's people would discover as they drew near to him in prayer, but also his promise of shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that's translated here in English by the, the words peace and the word uh, prosperity. And the reason both words fit is because uh, shalom isn't just one or the other. Rather, it captures both ideas, and including the ideas of completeness, wholeness, soundness. The idea is captured not only in the words peace and prosperity, but in the images of the return of singing and joy to the city, verse 11, the return of things that bring joy and stability, uh, uh, such as weddings, also in verse 11, and the return of prosperity in the return of of flocks and shepherds to the land, verse 13. What what Shalom envisions is a a return, a return of wholeness, a return of of all that makes life good, a rebuilding into life the things that, 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 that Israel's sin and rebellion caused them to forfeit. I want you to hear this morning where, where, where your life and, and all our lives are headed through faith in Jesus Christ. The shalom of God has already broken into our lives through faith in Christ, who himself says to his sheep, the, the, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and that they might have it abundantly. Even in a broken and fallen world, we experience so many foretastes of the permanent shalom that will be ours in the new heavens and the new earth. Right alongside the losses, we experience God's comfort. Right alongside the griefs, we experience God's joy. Right alongside the lack, we also experience God's provisions. Right, right alongside the injustices, we also experience God's justice. 
right alongside the sin struggles. We, we experience the, the fruits of the Spirit breaking forth in our lives and in the lives of others. And what we realize if we look with the eyes of faith is that that comfort and provision and joy and justice and spiritual growth is taking place because we are being shepherded by by the one who promises the very shalom we seek, the very peace we seek, the, the very health we seek, the very life we seek. Those experiences aren't just happening. Rather, they are being gifted to us by the one who promises his people a restoration that, that, that only he can grant to us. And, and the shalom that, that God gives is a shalom that the world did not give and the world cannot take away. This is why you're invited in your circumstances to draw near to God in prayer. Paul tells us, the Lord is at hand. Do nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace isn't just an idea that God plants in our heads. And it's not just an inner calm that God works in our hearts. It is God himself present in our lives, present with us in those unsettled circumstances of our lives. Peace is the knowledge that God is present and at work on our behalf to bring what is good and to lead us toward what is good. What makes for our restoration and the restoration of others, we have because God is with us. The the, the peace exists because the Lord is at hand, because He's near, because He's present. The Lord is at hand, Paul says. The Lord is near. This is, this, is, this is what would ensure shalom for God's people in Jeremiah 33, and it's the source of our shalom through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord is near, and that nearness is what brings peace and life and hope and joy. That shalom is already broken forth in our lives, as I say, through the presence of the Spirit of God who is at work in us. And among us as his people through Christ, uh, we now have peace. We now have shalom. We now have life. And so we can actively work for God's good wherever we find ourselves, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Because that shalom doesn't, uh, it doesn't come because of what we've done or what someone else does, has done. We can work for it in this world. In fact, even in Babylon, God would encourage his people to pursue this shalom, this wholeness of life, to work for it, even for the people of Babylon. So listen to what the Lord says in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, 
is your welfare. Some of us are waiting for the world to change, waiting for our circumstances to change, rather than recognizing that in Christ, shalom has already invaded the world, and that we can build toward it even as we wait for Christ to bring it fully and finally at His second coming. The Lord is with us to help us pursue what makes for peace and prosperity in a fallen world, knowing that the peace and prosperity that we are waiting for in full is what's coming in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen, people of God. God's healing brings forgiveness, and that healing brings shalom, and that healing finally, brothers and sisters, brings joy. It's remarkable how much the Bible speaks about joy and rejoicing. God's message of healing comes with a promise to return joy and to return rejoicing to a city that will know years of mourning and grief. The invitation to come to God in prayer is an invitation to discover again in Him the joy that was lost due to Israel's sin. One of Israel's greatest heroes understood the need for joy lost due to Israel's sin. He understood the need for joy lost due to his own individual sin against God. So David prays in Psalm 51. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let let me hear joy and gladness. Let, Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Twice in these few verses, David asked for a return of the joy lost due to his sin. A joy David knew was was rooted in relationship with God. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, I I know what David is talking about because as I sit here this morning, I confess that the joy I once knew feels distant and far away. No, no, No matter how I have tried, I cannot work it up in my soul. There's too much mess. There's too much hurt. There's too much sin. I I got news for you this morning. God's joy is not something that you can or need to work up. It it really doesn't come from the organ player's mastery of the keys and the sound reverberating when he makes it sing. It, It doesn't come from the power or tightness of the choir's harmony when they are on point. It doesn't come from the preacher's hoop when when the Spirit catches him and he begins to sing the sermon rather than speak it. Joy can respond to all those things, but it is not created by them. No, true joy isn't a manufactured thing. True joy is not a worked up thing. True joy is a gifted reality. It is a reality worked deep in the soul, and it doesn't come from man, but from God. That is why David doesn't call first for the choir director, but for God to restore the joy that he lost. 
Don't get me wrong. Joy will make you shout in response to the instruments playing and, and the choir singing and the preacher hooping, but true joy is a God thing. It comes from God's announcement to us that, that things between us and Him are good. It comes from God's providences to us that, 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 that when we are in hard circumstances, He will give us what we need. It comes from the righteousness He works in us and through us, the good He helps us do and the love that He helps us give. Joy comes from relationship with the only being who is truly good, truly perfect, truly wise, truly infinite, truly compassionate, truly justice, truly love. The God, the God for whom we run out of attributes. What Israel is promised and what we are promised as we draw near to God is a rediscovery of the joy and the delight that is ours in knowing God. And this joy isn't abstract. It's concrete and practical. For God tells His people, thus says the Lord, in the place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of myrrh and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of this land at first, says the Lord. God, brothers and sisters, isn't committed to giving us a feeling. He is committed to meeting us in the places where our lives have become a waste and restoring to us the joy of our salvation in those places that have become waste. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and you feel like my life is still waste. The brokenness, the sin, the evil that I've seen with my eyes and experienced in my life is overwhelming me, and I need God to remind me of who He is and what He has done. I got good news for you this morning. That's his commitment. <laughs> so can I ask us to do something? Pray for God's joy to break forth not only in your own life, but in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Some of us have been laboring under heavy burdens for a long time, and we need the restoration of God's joy. Pray for one another that God would lift those burdens, that God would meet his people in those circumstances and replace mourning with dancing, sorrow with rejoicing. Pray for the things that bring joy to break forth in people's lives, a deepening relationship with the Lord, true Christian community where needs are met and cares are lifted for the discovery and use of the gifts that God has given us to bring glory to His name. Joy is a needed reality in the lives of God's people. When Nehemiah was leading the people in the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the return from Babylonian captivity, he spoke these words to them after the wall was complete. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." The joy 
of the Lord is your strength. I know I tease y'all some mornings. I tease you because I'm preaching my heart out. And some of y'all are looking at me. And I don't know what's happening on the inside of you because of the way you're looking at me, I just can't tell. So I don't, I don't know how, how to think about what's going on. So I'm thankful for some of y'all who have emailed like, Pastor, I'm hearing you. I'm listening to you. I, I may not look like it, but I'm, but I'm paying attention. I just want to say to you this morning, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I just want to tell you it's okay to clap your hands. It's okay to stomp your feet. It, 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 it's okay every once in a while to move your body around. It, it, it's okay. The, the, the Lord, the Lord delights in the praises of his people. That's why the psalmist says, clap your hands. That's why the psalmist says, play the instruments. That's why the psalmist says, dance. Because in the joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm just, I, I'm just trying to get you to move a little bit. It's okay. You don't have to be like me. You ain't got to run around the church. That's okay. I just want you to move a little bit. I'm okay. I'm okay with the note taking. That's good too. Amen. But I just want to see you move. And here's why. Because you got something to move about. You got something to clap about. You got something to play the instruments about. You got something to dance about. You got something to stomp your feet about. You actually have something to run around the church about. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not telling you you have to do it. But, but you have something to run around the church about. You know why? Because this morning, as you sit here, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, all of your sin has been taken away. You, 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 you are no longer a slave to sin. You are, you are no longer headed toward death. And the only thing in front of you is a glorious future that God himself has prepared for all who love him. I know life is hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's painful. Trust me, on a personal level, I know. But I also know the goodness of God that has come into my life and come into yours. Amen, people of God. So God says to his people, he says, I'm going to return myrrh and gladness to the city of waste, to the city where there is no inhabitant, to the city where beasts have fled. I'm going to return joy and myrrh, joy and gladness, because I'm going to return their fortune, says the Lord. And that's what Jesus has done for every single one of us in this room. He is the reason that we can rejoice. He is the reason that we can have joy right alongside all of life's challenges. Because he has set us free. He has set us free. He has set us free from the things that held us captive. Amen, people of God.